Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Would we, would we now welcome our worship pastor, Stu Brown? Put your hands together. Go on. <laughs> it's good to be here, isn't it? Today we're actually looking at worship, and that's why I've been asked to participate. Um, normally I've got a guitar in front of me, and I don't have it today. Uh, but I'm going to share with you a little bit about worship. I just wanted to acknowledge, though, that um, this la- a couple of weeks ago now, um, we lost a dear friend, Barry Rice, and Dorothy's here this morning, his uh, wife, and uh, we had a beautiful memorial service on Thursday, and it was just so special. And Dorothy got up here and just basically preached to everyone. She's just a powerful woman of the Lord. And uh, so it's so good to have you here. I know Dorothy has found it really hard to come to church because they've been in hospitals and, um, and just haven't been able to get here because of Barry's health. So it's lovely to see your face here this morning and really want to honour you. We're looking at this challenge at the moment of gathering in his name. And uh, I, I was thinking about that word gather, that it, we can sometimes think of it as um, we're just coming together, you know, just the physical coming together. But there's so much more to gathering in his name. And we were looking at our, uh, our core values a couple of years ago, and uh, we, I think this was two years ago, that there was nine core values. And Paul, who I want to honour again, he's really getting a lot of claps today, but uh, he, he just said, I feel like we're missing something in these, in these nine values. And gathering in his name really isn't, isn't mentioned. And we kind of take it for granted that we are the body of Christ coming together. And so we want that to be signified in our core values. And so he, he shared that. And then this was two years ago. We put it, put it on paper. And then what happened? A pandemic. And our gathering was actually really under threat. So I really feel like God was leading him in that um, uh, and, and I, I think that's something that Paul does. He's very wise and he sees the things that are missing and when things aren't quite right, he'll speak about it. And uh, so come on, let's give him a clap. Um, that gathering is so important. And we often say, you know, that you don't come to church. We are the church. You are the church. Just think about that for the moment, for a moment, about yourself being the church that we're not coming to attend, but I am the church. It kind of gives us a, a role. There's a significance about that. And today we're looking at the idea of worship as a significant part of our gathering. It's an active thing. There's participation involved. It's not just that we congregate, but we're gathering for a purpose. And as part of that gathering, we worship together. And I think you know, I might be a bit biased, but uh, it's a very special part of what we do. And it's God's design that we would come together, that we would even sing, that we would use music to do that. Worship is, is an amazing tool that God has given us. And, uh, and so often I think we kind of miss the significance of it as, as a, a vehicle that we can just give him honour and glory. I remember as, as a young lad my grandfather asked me to help him out with the chicken coop. And he said, oh, Stu, can you go and get the shifter? 
And, uh, you know, I was quite a young lad then and didn't really know what that was. But uh, I confidently just, you know, went up to the garage to try and find the shifter, but I didn't know what that was. And I think it's partly because my dad was a doctor. If he had have asked for a scalpel, I would have known exactly what to find. But I went up to the, the garage and I, I found a, I think it was a wrench or something like that, and I took it back. And, uh, and Grandpa said, oh, let's, let's go up to the garage together. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think of this about worship, that it's this incredible tool that we have, but, but so often, and so many of us don't even access it, or we might think it's for someone else, and we have no idea about its purpose. And this is a powerful tool that we have as a church to glorify Him as a body. So let's look at the purpose, the purpose of worship. It's not just that we're going to sing songs together. There's something powerful about us coming together to worship the Father. In Psalm 100, it says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Woohoo! Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It's He who made us and He uh, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. The first thing I think that we can see out of his, this is that worship is actually service to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness, it says. And each one of us brings something to serve him. A group of our friends get together every now and then and we do these international dinners. And it's pretty good, I've got to tell you, because we choose a, a different nation each time. It might be Italian. And uh, they don't just pop down to Aldi and get a frozen lasagna. You know what I'm saying? Everyone in that group thinks about what they can bring and they put so much effort into making it. And then they come together for a feast. And I think that's a, a bit uh, uh, like church, that we, we need to think about what we're going to bring and spend time in the presence of the Lord, spend time uh, with Him. And that as we come each Sunday, we don't just kind of rock up, but we actually bring something and, and we come just to serve the Lord with the different gifts that we have. Paul writes about our worship in Corinthians. He says this, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So what do you bring? What do you bring each Sunday? What kind of gift are you bringing? What kind of attitude are you bringing? And uh, we come together and if we're prepared to serve the Lord and bring an offering, how incredible would that be if every single one of us spent the time before we came together to bring something to Him? Something else that stands out about this psalm is that it talks about ascribing worthiness to God. In verse 3, it says, know that the Lord, He is God. It's He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And it talks about what He's done. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures. His faithfulness to all generations. So in our worship, we're just declaring these things, just about how good He is, how great He is, what He's done and who He is. And this morning, a couple of us are going to share, and it's going to be punctuated by moments of worship. We're about to sing now. 
we're going to sing this song, Jesus at the Center. And it's a beautiful um, just reflection on Jesus being the center of everything that we do. And so as we come, maybe you'd like to stand or you might like to stay seated. You could lie on the ground if you really want to. But we just want to have a moment where we would just put him right at the center, that we would actually ascribe worthiness to him, that we would tell him how good he is, all the things that he's done. And as we're doing that, think about what you're bringing. What are you bringing to that, this feast that we're, we're part of today? So let's worship him. beautiful to remind ourselves that he is the center of it all because so often it's something else that's the center of it all and everything goes awry in life when you look at psalm 100 again there's something pivotal in the middle of that that i believe tells us what enables us to worship together and god does something profound in this when we grab this it says know that the lord he is god it is he who made us and we are his We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. There's a divine leveller that happens when we come to worship together, when we know that he is the Lord who made us and we are his people. And as we come together and we can be abundantly aware of our differences, of our different um, educational levels, social standings, age, looks, whatever it is, and yet in the eyes of the Father we come together and we're one. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a divine levelling that happens. And once we get that, that we are totally, he is the centre of it all and we are, he's totally dependent on him, his people. When we get this out of order, this is where the world goes wrong. Last night we were babysitting our four-year-old grandson and uh, we're sitting around the table playing animal bingo and then the parents left and uh, when the parents left and the atmosphere was really exciting... Um, because he had four grandparents and one grandchild there and we hadn't had dinner and so he was going to go to bed first. So I said, we're going to make a plan. And he said, hang on. It goes like this. Daddy, Mummy, me, Leon, you're not on the list so I'm the boss. (laughs) I said, hang on. (laughs) Pappy is Daddy's father so he is the big boss. Okay. So... Now we're going to make a plan. So we made our plan and uh, we had fun with a really good plan under Pappy, who's the big boss. And uh, when we get things in order and we understand that there is a heavenly father who loves us, he's not the big boss, he's the loving heavenly father, that we come together and God does something extraordinary in transforming us. It's not just this vertical relationship, the horizontal relationship changes. A.W. Tozer writes this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshippers meet together each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because um, in all the different human rights movements that have happened through the ages, there's always been a fight for it. 
But when the Spirit of God descends upon people and people's hearts change, you no longer have to fight. It's like a revelation comes and we get it. We start to see it from a different perspective. It says in 1 John 1, 6-7, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all us from all sin. Now it's interesting here that it says when you walk in the light, these two things happen: fellowship with one another and purification from sin. Why are those two linked together? It said it says at the start of it in verse six, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. So it's saying it is possible to claim you have fellowship with him and think you walk in the light, but you're not. But if we walk in the light, these two things happen. Amazing love for one another and purification from sins. And they go together in a, in a very profound way. Um, because sometimes we think that those, there's two kingdoms in the world. There's light and darkness. And sometimes we think if you live in the light, you're better than anyone who lives in the darkness. It's not you who is, you, you are changed by the Holy Spirit, but you are not no more worthy of blessing and favour and transformation than the person who's in the darkness. The difference is the power under which you live. And when you walk in darkness, you can't see where you're going. Once I was in Papua New Guinea when my dad was doing some building work for a mission school up there and um, we were live this beautiful um, property where the school was which had um, a generator for electricity and when the generator went off it was dark. And we're at some function at the school and we're walking back home to the house in which we lived and... Um, we had torches, but at one point we turned the torches off because it was dark and it was a, a night, a cloudy night and there was these big shade trees in this, in this school and it was so dark I put my hand like that and I couldn't see my hand. That's pretty dark. We um, city people don't get to experience darkness like that very much because there's always a street light or somewhere around. But when there is no light, it's really dark and you can't see where you're going and you don't even know what you look like. You think you do, but you don't know what you look like. And so this word light, it's this, John writes about all the time in the Gospels and in his epistles, he talks about Jesus being the light of the world. He comes into the world to shine light into the darkness. And so it's like an enlightening that comes in. The word light comes from this word, the word that's used come from phos, which means to shine. It's defined by many lexicons as that which contrasts with darkness. Light is the medium of illumination which makes sight possible. Or makes things visible. John Phillips writes this, to walk in the light means that our lives will be transparent and above reproach. We will harbour nothing shady, nothing we would not want to be seen and known, for light exposes the hidden works of darkness. How can two walk together in fellowship when one has ulterior motives and the other something to hide? You know, when the light, when you actually, and I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you or behind you, I'm talking about you, and the light shines truly on your heart and you have to, this is why worship is so important in this because it's a risk to open your heart up to God and let him shine the light on your heart. You can be so used to um, concealing who you really are from yourself and even from God that when he shines the light on your heart, there's been moments in my life where he shines the light on my heart and I see things that I think, I'm really so far from being like Jesus. I'm talking, you know, like I've been a non-rebellious teenage girl who did the right things, but that doesn't mean my heart is pure and beautiful. 
we can you can all behave, you know, you can be one of those kids who just sits in school and do what they do what they're told to do, but it doesn't mean your heart doesn't have envy or jealousy, bitterness or hurt. It doesn't mean that you're not full of yourself, it doesn't mean that you don't think the world revolves around you. You just look good. And when the light of Jesus shines in our heart and we see who we are, we either run from it and cover it up again, or we look to him and see Jesus hanging on the cross. He said, Bring it all to me. I'll wash it all away. I'll transform you to be like me. That's what you really want. That's what you really that's why you hide who you are, because you know that you don't want to be who you are. You want to be like Jesus. And he washes it away and he forgets. He actually forgets about it. And he starts to transform you into someone new. And when you in the you know, Just picture yourself in a time of worship. God shines his light on your heart and you see it and you release it to him. When you open your eyes, you see everyone around you in such a different way. You start to have that love that Jesus had on the cross where he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. And you start to love them all. And in Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul prays this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. When the eyes of your heart are enlightened and you see the hope that he's called you for, the riches of his inheritance for you and the power that he has won for you on the cross, you would say, shine your light on on my heart. Show me anything that would stop me living in that. Get rid of it. I I don't want it anymore. It's like having something bad sticking to you and you see that you just really want it off so you can be the glorious person that God created you to be. Warren Wisby writes this, the eyes of the heart being enlightened. We think of the heart as the emotional part of man but in the Bible the heart means the inner man and includes the emotions, the mind and the will. So his light is shining on your emotions, your mind, your will. The inner man, the heart, has spiritual faculties that parallel the physical senses. The inner man can see and hear and taste and smell and touch. The inability to see and understand spiritual things is not the fault of the intelligence but of the heart. I was talking to the worship team about this the other night and someone said one of the reasons worship is so powerful with music is that it bypasses your analytical mind and it goes straight to your heart. The eyes of the heart must be opened by the Spirit of God. And as you're transformed, how do you know that you're being transformed to be like Jesus? Of all the amazing qualities of God, we know this, that God is love. And Jesus said that this is how people will know you are my disciples, by the way you love one another. People will see you, will see Jesus in you. And it says in 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. When you get that love, incredible love that you would lay down your life for someone and not just the person that you like person that maybe is different to you you start to see I'm becoming more and more like Jesus and it happens when we worship when we gather together and we lift our hearts to him and we're going to sing this beautiful song that says Christ be magnified let his praise arise Christ be magnified in me think of this word magnified magnified means it's sort of made bigger than everything else if you take one thing and you magnify it, it's, it's the most obvious thing. And what we're saying, it's, like, it's a prayer that we're singing. We're saying, when people see me, may they see Jesus. 
may they see Jesus. We were visiting some friends in America several years ago and one of, and the daughter-in-law came home and she'd been diagnosed with stage four brain tumour that day. And um, she said, you know what I want most of all? I want people to see the peace of Jesus in me as I go through this. May they see Jesus. May they know that he loves me and I'm not afraid because he is with me. She wanted Jesus to be magnified. And I'd love us as we come together to worship this, to worship the Lord through this, to, to it's like a, I lay down my life, I get rid of myself, and I say, Jesus, be magnified. May people see you. May when they walk into the room with me, may they experience your grace, your love, your peace, your joy, your kindness. Whatever it is of the character, you don't have to choose it. Just may they see Jesus in you. And it comes not so much from focusing on how nice you are, but focusing on him and allowing him to shine the light in your heart. You don't have to try too hard because once he shines the light in your heart and you repent of your sins and you give them to him, he washes you clean, he makes you white as snow. And as you humbly receive that gift, your love for others will just increase automatically. So as we sing this, you may sit, you may stand, you may do whatever you like, but because what's going on in your heart is the most important thing. What I, I believe God wants us to say is you, you can do an external form of worship, but if it's not from the depth of your being, it can mean nothing. But when we come to him and we boldly say, I'm opening everything up to you today, Lord, the Holy Spirit will do something profound in our lives. So let's worship together. What a beautiful morning of being in the Lord's presence. It's just um, wonderful. Worship is a word that we use a lot that has so many different meanings. We sometimes might say, where, you, where do you worship? Or are you coming to worship this Sunday? Meaning the gathering of God's people, meaning the church gathered. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, which holy and pleasing unto God, which is your spiritual worship. So their spiritual worship is actually the offering of our bodies to God, the laying down of our lives, as uh, Stu and Sue have spoken about, the laying down of our lives in response to his grace and his goodness, but today I want to, we are focusing in especially on that act of worship that involves coming together as a church and singing and praising and a, a, a heartfelt response of God for what he's done in our lives. And when we think of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. So just in that, that is so rich with meaning, our Father. For a start, he's not just my Father. He's not, it's not about me, my and I. It's about us, we and our. We, all of a sudden we're in a family. He's our Father. And uh, as Sue pointed out, the more we look to him, the more we'll be a family and the more we'll be in unity. Our Father. He's a Father. He's loving. He's kind. He loves us. He's given his life for us, the life of his son, Jesus. So there's so much in that. Our Father who art in heaven. Oh, heaven. The hope of Christians. The hope that we will be with the Lord and we will live with him and reign and rule with him forever. 
And so just in that one first line of the Lord's Prayer, there is so much richness of who God is and who we are corporately and what our our future is and what God's plans are for us. And what is the response to that? The very second line, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy That's worship. That's the response of the human heart that Sue was talking about that says, although I'm unworthy, although I do wrong things, Lord, I want to make your name be holy. You are beautiful. You are great. You are lovely. And, you know, in in the um, Psalm 100 that we saw, it talks about serve the Lord with gladness. That's the laying down of our bodies. Um, And I, I, I um, I want us to think today about this. When it comes to worshipping God together, when it comes to that response of our heart, oh, and by the way, if we went to the third line of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, when you have an encounter with the God of heaven and you respond in worship, what happens? His kingdom comes and we want to see his kingdom come. We want to see our lives changed and other people's lives changed. Let me take you back to a story from the book of 2 Samuel in the Bible about King David, the second king of Israel. And David had a passion for God. His Look, you know, my wife and I have this sign in our bedroom, this little hand-painted sign. It says, we may not have it all together, but together we have it all. But you know what? David didn't have it all together. He had some mess in his life that was that was going on. He wasn't the world's greatest dad and we all know about his moral failings. But you know what? What he did have, he had a heart of passion for God. He loved God. He was a man after God's own heart. And he, he, he sought forgiveness from God. He, he was just passionate about loving God. So this story involves David bringing the ark of God into Jerusalem, the centre of, of uh, God's presence in Israel, and putting God at the centre of the people of Israel. And as he brought that ark up the, up the hill to Israel, he rejoiced before the Lord with dancing. Now, he he just was wildly dancing in worship before the Lord. And his wife, Michelle, she looked out of the window of the palace down on King David and the Bible says she scorned him in her heart. And I want to ask you today, are you a worshipper or are you a mocker? Because while David was dancing before the Lord for all his faults, he was a worshipper. Whereas Michelle, the daughter of the king and so on, as she looked down, she was a mocker. She just mocked what he was doing. And later on, David, when she talked to David about this, he said, oh, really, you think that's bad? I'll become even more undignified than that to worship God, you know, let go of my own inhibitions and so on. I don't care what other people think. If I'm worshipping God, that's what comes first. So let me tell you a couple of stories. Way back a long time ago, back in the 90s, my wife and I were sort of helping to start a little Christian school and one of the families that were the first founding families of that school came out of the Salvation Army Church, our denomination, and they brought with them this rich heritage of sort of band music but also the mum knew how to play the tambourine. Now you go, oh, duh, you know, you go like this, but no, 
She could play the Salvation Army timbrel and that's different. It's got sort of streamers and and they do all these choreographed moves and things that go like this, you know, and and that she said, look, can I get this timbrel group going in the school? And, you know, I, I thought I was pretty cool back then. It was a long time ago and I, I sort of thought, timbrel group, really? Do we want a timbrel group? But anyway, I felt, yep, yeah, let, okay, let's go with this. So she got the kids together at lunchtimes, those who wanted to, and uh, after a while she had this big group, all girls, but, you know, it was a group of timbrel players, and they were, became really skillful. And they ended up choreographing these incredible worship sequences to Christian music where they were all, do, they can do all sorts of around the world things and turn that way and this way and do it down low and up high and it was fantastic the community loved it you know we did it in the community and it was just fantastic something like most people haven't seen before and I I guess I just had to repent before God and go sorry Lord sorry for thinking I'm too cool for worship you know because these guys were worshiping with joy and uh, and and they really made an impact on people's lives. Another time in the noughties when I was living up here in Newcastle and working at St Phillips Christian College, I got to take a mission trip, my first ever mission trip, and we went with uh, Father Ken, who knew the country pretty well, up to Papua New Guinea. And we were right up in the jungles, right up in the wilds of Papua New Guinea, and with us we had a girl who knew how to do flags. Now, if you've been around a few, if you've been in this church a long time, you might not have seen flags. But this girl, she knew how to wave these flags in worship and twirl them and do all sorts of stuff. And she trained uh, a lot of members of the team how to do that in worship. And we went up to the jungles of Papua New Guinea with this big bag of flags. And we got them out during worship. And these guys had never seen anything like this. This was incredible. So we're there singing worship songs and they're waving the flags around and what have you and you know what something funny happened because the next night the the hall where we were sharing Jesus was packed it was packed people had heard about this and they came to see what was going on and the third night the Holy Spirit turned up this was one of the most amazing nights of my life I haven't been really a part of anything like that since then. The Holy Spirit turned up and people had walked for miles through the jungle to get to this meeting, this night meeting, where these crazy people wave flags around. But the Holy Spirit turned up and, you know, we were sort of worshipping and the Holy Spirit started to do things. A whole lot of people started to fall on their knees in one place and I had these year 11 and 12 kids with me. I saw a group, one guy over there leading a group of of about 20 or 30 in the sinner's prayer, bringing them to the Lord. And over here there was a, another group just getting prayer and weeping and and, and behind me there was a, one of our students leading a, a deliverance prayer in someone and that was going off, I can tell you that. But you know what? Because we were free in worship, because it didn't matter, God actually did something. He did something special and he moved in our lives. And the third thing I want to say is this. The third story I want to tell you is this, and it's to do with dance. The first time, by the way, isn't it lovely when we see the kids dancing down the front here in worship? Yeah, you know half of them are my grandkids, don't you? But uh, anyway, <laughs> it's so lovely when you see kids freely dancing in worship. But a long time ago, 
a couple who were actually here in the last service came to this church for the first time. And it was a fairly standard service until the end where we sang this really great worship song and I was leading that day and uh, I got really excited, maybe a bit overexcited. And I said, come on, guys, let's have a conga line. And I jumped off the stage and you know, like this. People joined in and the worship band's going off and we've got this conga line going around this church and I'm sure this new couple are going, what have we come to? What is this place about, you know? But here's the thing, they're still here. They were here this morning in the 8.30 service and they're very supportive and you know what? Why don't we get a bit freer in worship? After the 8.30 service, I spoke to a lady. She said, you know, I've been coming here on and off for about a year. She said, today for the first time, I just went like this with my hands and she said, I felt this tingling in my arms. This is a lady who's on the journey to faith still. She said, I felt this tingling in my arms and God did something I'd never felt before. Can we free up a little bit? Can we not be mockers? Can we be worshippers? And if God calls you to kneel, you kneel. And if God calls you to lift your hands, you lift your hands. And if you want to come down here and dance, you dance. If you want to come down here and repent, you come and kneel at the altar and repent. You know, can we, can we be a bit freer with that? Because God really wants us to be free in our worship. And, uh, you know, it's not, our, it's not our place to judge, but... Obviously, leaders of the church have to maintain some sort of order in church worship. But, you know, folks, I'd encourage you, take a step. Take a step towards freedom. Even if it's just that little step of doing this with your hands or raising your hand or, you know, doing the Pentecostal two-step, whatever it might be, okay? That's from the 70s, the Pentecostal (laughs) two-step. But um, I just want to encourage you, let's be free in the Lord and let's love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind and all our strength. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We want you to be honoured in everything we do and we want you to move in this place, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take some time now to consider what really stood out to you in that message. God has been speaking to you. What is it that he said to you? If you're in the room with someone else, turn and share with them what stood out to you. And I say to them, how can I pray for you? Share with them something that you love about God and something that you're thankful for this week. Or phone someone and ask them those questions. What do you love about God? What are you thankful for this week? And how can I pray for you? Bless you and have a great week.